this, then I'll be good and then I'll be happy. Like we think this is what's going to, you could say, solve things. That we'll be satisfied with, if I just get this toy, if I just get this board game, if I get this video game, whatever it might be. But then we get it, and guess what? Because almost none of you raised your hands, we all forgot about it within a year. If I ask you three weeks from now what you got for Christmas, some of us already might forget. Because guess what? Stuff is not going to satisfy us. Ecclesiastes 5.10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Now whether that's money or stuff or whatever it might be, we're never going to be satisfied. We're never going to be happy. We're never going to be fulfilled with it. We can only be fulfilled with Jesus. We can only be happy, satisfied with Christ. The stuff isn't bad. We can have fun with whatever games and toys we get. But it's only through Christ that we're going to be happy or we're going to be satisfied. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that, God, you've sent your son to live on this earth, die in our place, and be resurrected, defeating death and sin. And God, thank you that we can celebrate that through Christmas and through Easter and so much more and you get to have fun with those holidays. But God, I pray that we never forget. We will never, ever be satisfied with stuff or money or anything. We will only ever be satisfied through Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. If you are first grade on down, you can head back to Children's Church and the awesome crew in the back. <clears throat> Otherwise, you can head back on to your parents. Hebrews chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to take them and, and turn with me as we will consider verses 1 and 2. Yes, it is not Genesis. <clears throat> we will be back to Genesis, don't worry, uh, next week. And you know me, I would not normally kind of deviate from our plan unless I thought it was most necessary. And that is the reason that we will spend the very last day of 2023 reminding one another from the authority of the Word of God of the importance of looking unto Jesus more than anything else. I want to welcome every single one of you this morning. Um, obviously, Christmas has taken a toll on many of you. It's been a little bit of an upside-down week. Kids are out of school, and so schedules are upside down. You guys have clearly eaten too much. You've slept too much. You've run the vacuum like 87,000 times because of everyone being home. But that's okay. The delight of being together as family and we mark these times as special moments and we remember these times just last night it was a delight to have our grandchildren here with us and i was uh, reading my notes as i will always do on saturday night and noelle was sitting in my lap and she's looking at my notes and she says pop up are you are you going to say all of that and I said, yes, yes. And she said this, Mama Mia. <laughs> I have no idea why or what that means. But yes, Mama Mia, I'm going to say everything that's written here on my notes just to prepare you, okay? You got no place to be for another 14 hours, so we have lots of time together. Let's bow our heads and pray before we go to the Word of God to listen and learn this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? <clears throat> not, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name be the glory. We began 2023 with those exact words, and we end 2023 with those exact words, as a reminder that it's all about you. We thank you, Lord, for the celebration of the incarnation that we've had just this past week. We, we look forward and anticipate your coming again. But until then, Lord, we are desperately reliant, gloriously reliant upon you for every breath in our lungs, for every heart beat. 
And Father, as, as we inevitably look back and thank you for the blessings that you have poured out over us and your graces this past year, we also, Lord, look forward to another year for the responsibility that you have given to us, the weight that is upon our shoulders to live in full obedience, to be truth-tellers, to be ones who extend grace to others, to be quick to forgive, quick to confess. And Lord, we admit that we cannot do this in our own strength, and so we ask you to empower us through the presence and might of your Spirit. And Father, as, as we have now just a few moments together set aside to hear from you, Lord, I would ask that you would please just fill me up by your Spirit and pour me out for your glory, that, that these words would be your words, that the focus, the attention would be upon you. Oh, how we love you, Lord, and we celebrate the amazing gift of Jesus and the hope of salvation through the good news of the gospel. Father, please minister to hearts right now that are heavy, that are struggling, that are facing discouragement, fears, and Lord, may you minister. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your love for us. Speak, and may your children hear from you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. <clears throat> Two words, not uncommon. As we are about to walk through the door of a new year, we assess the past, and we anticipate the future. For most of us, as we kind of begin this process, it takes us back about 365 days when we all sat down with lists and pens and paper and wrote down our intentions or aspirations, goals, or may I use this word, resolutions, which if you think about the root is the word resolute 365 days you thought about this word being resolute it means firmly resolved or determined set in purpose or opinion yeah right we know what happens when people said what i have to change some things in my life develop new habits be more diligent more disciplined and so i will live life differently so diet plans were established and workout routines were set up. Credit cards were cut up. Cigarettes were crushed and pills were flushed and alcohol was poured down the drain and, and people bought new Bibles and they bought new journals and different color highlighters. Guidelines were put in place. New schedules were set up. And what? There was this, there was this murmur of excitement deep within that says, I am going to live like Jesus this year. Amen. And praise God for that. And there is an enthusiasm and there is an excitement that very easily, easily carries us through. Easily carries us through the first week of January into the second week, and maybe even into February. But around what? Early March, mid-March, we begin to get anxious that the changes don't seem quite as apparent enough. And days kind of seem to drag, and there's a sense of darkness or even discouragement that sets in. And we're stuck. We're reading in Leviticus and Numbers and we've missed some Sundays gathering together. And months pass, and our parent goals did not. And now they're at a point where they cannot be achieved. And so there's what? There's this sense of frustration. What happens? Most people just like kind of give up. They give in. There's always next year. Next year's going to be different. It'll be a fresh start. And we anticipate the new year. We get all fired up. And we're here again as the cycle begins. Too often, too often, my dear brothers and sisters, we give up and we give in when we need to stay the course. And I believe now, more than ever before, we as the church of Jesus Christ needs to stay the course. There have been what? Things that you have 
left over the years. Things that you've quit. School, college, grad, grad school. Some of you have walked out on jobs, relationships, friendships, churches. You've stopped memorizing scripture. It's just, it's just a little too laborious. You did what I did, and you gave up on the voice lessons years ago. No, I never had voice lessons, just to let you know. But we abandoned commitments that we made. And sadly, what happens is that we abandon commitments that we make to one another as a local church. Commitments that we, what, are to make to the Word of God and even God Himself. And, and sadly, what happens is that people entrench themselves into even more hurtful and more harmful habits than before just to try to escape and what happens is that the church doesn't look a whole lot different from those outside the church those who love jesus live lives that don't look a whole lot different than those who don't love jesus and what happens is this is that you get angry and frustrated at your own what failures and so easy what somebody says something does something for you to lash out at them to somehow attack them, it's someone else's problems. When it's really, in all honesty, it's not their problem. It's your problem. And it's my problem. The people who are quick to point fingers and to lash out at others. It's a problem in our own heart. First and foremost, that's why I love the powerful, powerful words, practical instruction that we have open before us in Hebrews chapter 12. I, I, could, I, could, I, could, I could preach this passage for months. There's so much here. Okay, let me, let me just direct your attention. And I tried to, like, where do I make the break? And, and I was well into chapter 13 before I could make the break. So let's, let's try this. Let's just try the first couple of verses. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord. Here it is. <clears throat> Since, coming on the heels of Hebrews chapter 11, okay, we, we remember and we've been studying a guy who even made that list in Abram over the last several months. Since, as a result of, we are surrounded by so great. What's interesting is that word great isn't just about the list of Hebrews chapter 11. We are surrounded by so great. Literally, it's not just those in, in what the history of God's word, not just those in our own church history, but believers. We are surrounded by so great. Think of this, millions, that great of a cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which, so, which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured. Endured the cross. Despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The word of the Lord. Notice as well this repeated use of the pronouns both us and we. Four different times in just two verses. The author, in a sense, is linking himself to us, the readers, this morning. He as well is a competitor in this race. He is caught up in this contest as much as we are this morning. And I like that. And it clearly indicates that what? It's noted that some get weary and faint. Some, in a sense, just fall over on the side of the road like I can't go on. And others have this ability to keep going are able to endure how are they able to do that and the answer is simple there's some action points here for us a what lay aside sin b we look to jesus who is what the founder perfecter the author and the finisher the beginning and the end the alpha and omega it is first 
first to him that we are to look, not to your diet plan, not to your self-help book, not to your like, what do I do when I'm feeling miserable? Not to that, okay? We look to him, the Alpha and Omega. It is toward him. We keep the focus that we run toward him, which means there must be no divided attention. Think about that in a world that is screaming at you. Thousands of messages pop up a day that are trying to grab for your attention. We must ask this, why, 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 why is it him that we must focus on? There is no greater example. Only him who said, what it says that he endured, like, like we are called to, and he endured the cross. He also despised the shame of what? It's speaking of our own sins. He despised the shame of our own failures because he loves us, because he loves you. Jesus finished his race so that what? You can finish yours. Not so you can live however you want to live. That's the authority of what God's word says. And now what? He is seated at the right hand. It says in Romans chapter 8, he is actually interceding. And I love this. Indeed, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, indeed he is interceding on our behalf. Which means what? We are about to walk through the door. Watch the little silly balls drop, which totally makes no sense to me. And, and we what? We what? Okay, this is it. We're now geared up. This year is going to be done different than the past year. But how do we do that? We have to put our trust in the only one who's able to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish in enduring and keeping our eyes on him. Now, I believe this is especially important because of what looms in 2024. Think about this. And, and I'm just, I'm just going to rip the Band-Aid right off. If 2016 was any indication, if 2020 was any indication, let me tell you this, election years bring out the worst rather than the best in us. And I wrote these words, that is so wrong. That is so wrong. What an opportunity for us as the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ, addressed and adorned in pure white. What an opportunity for us who have been called out and set apart the royal priesthood of believers. What an opportunity for us to look and to act and to think and to talk differently than everyone else. More importantly, an opportunity for us to think critically and biblically as we what? As we kind of maneuver our way through this year where you will hear it all. What an opportunity for us to maneuver with such grace and kindness and gentleness and assurance. Most importantly, with what? With a resoluteness, a firmness, and a holiness. Now, why is it, why, like, why is that important this year? Because as the world attacks, and they will attack, just get ready for it. As the world criticizes, that's what they do, and blames and fumes, we do not. We don't behave like that. We don't talk like that. We don't even think like that. So how do we do this? How do we run this race with endurance that is set before us looking unto Jesus? Have you ever noticed how Jesus, I would hope that you have. You've heard it like a lot from me and from others at this church. Have you ever noticed how Jesus lived while he was ministering here on this earth? Did you ever pick up on how he has loved and served and he gave and he taught in a most wicked and a vile 
first century Middle Eastern Roman Empire world. Do you ever pick up on how Jesus, in a sense, kind of, kind of moved above all that? He never got caught up in the fray. Jesus actually says this, what? In John chapter 18. My, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. For the slow learners amongst us, that's me. He's repeated the phrase twice, and yet there's a little bit of difference. What? He's reminded us, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not from this world. Totally, totally different. That's what Jesus is teaching. We think and we live and we talk totally different than the rest of the world. And I understand that we are, we are blessed. We are blessed beyond measure with common graces that surround us. We are blessed with grace upon grace to be born in and to live in what I would arguably say is the greatest country in the history of the world. And it's really, really hard. Why? Because we look around us and we listen to what's happening. And let me, let me, let me tell you, I am not trying to criticize or attack. I am blessed. We are blessed. And I love the country I never, I never met my grandfather, my own dad's dad, like Grandpa Boger, never met him. Why? Because he was killed in battle in Normandy, the Battle of Bulge, excuse me, in 1944. I never met my, my, my Uncle Bobby, my mom's oldest brother, who was killed in Korea at Heartbreak Ridge. Never met them because they were what? They're sacrificing their life for the freedoms that we enjoy. I love our country. Let me tell you this, our country, the United States of America, is not eternal. Oh, oh boy. Well, we must be wise, and we must be careful to always speak up, and to vote with what? With clear moral issues in mind. What are they? A, the sanctity of human life. First and foremost, we speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. And what? B, the sacredness of marriage between a man and a woman. Now, those clear moral issues must always remain at the forefront. But beyond that, our focus is to remain and must remain on that which is eternal, not that which is temporal. So what is eternal? The local church of Jesus Christ says what? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The souls of mankind, the work of the gospel, these things are bedrock eternal. That's where we focus so how do we how do we like how do we do this well we're still in this world we're just not from this world since we are so prone and i can do the same thing but begin to think like and act like those around us so the question is this how, like how do we as christians in america live what do we should what do we do actually we want to begin for just a few moments on the on the adverse what we should not be doing as Christians in America. Jonathan Lehman wrote in a most helpful book. It's been out on the shelf. It was the book of the month, I think, when we were back in 2020 at some point. It's called How the Nations Rage, Rethinking Faith and Politics in a Divided Age. Particularly in chapter 7, I want to direct some attention to, because there's some great stuff here for us. Where it's entitled in chapter 7, Christians are not culture warriors, but ambassadors. That's what Paul calls us in 2 Corinthians. So, so how, how what, what should Christians in America not do? 
Number one, we should never disengage. We should never disengage. That means to simply like just remove ourselves. I'm going to kind of isolate, build the walls up around us, dig a hole, bury your head in the sand, and focus only on yourself, your family, your job, your kind of fill in the blank. <clears throat> we should never totally disengage. Remember when I preached on Jonah? No, you don't. <laughs> I know you don't. But we all know the story. When, when, when God told Noah, no, God told Jonah, we were preaching on Noah not that long ago. When God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, which is a what? Like, it's bad upon bad. It is a deeply scarred, sin-filled place. Jonah, I want you to go and I want you to preach to those people that are totally lost, totally pagan, totally heathen. Jonah's response was what? Absolutely not. I'm out of here. They can all go to, and you know what? And God says, no, I'm, I'm not going to have that. So what did God do? After the most humbling, and I would say one of the most horrible, terrifying experiences a human could ever face, what? Being swallowed by a fish and regurgitated out on the, I mean, this is just ugly. Imagine the smell. After all of that, he preached to Nineveh. He preached the gospel to good news. And those people desperately need it. And there was a great revival that broke out. Let me tell you this. Whatever you think of America's public morality, or I should say in parentheses, or lack thereof, the church of Jesus Christ can never disengage. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? Here's a good summary. As you um, get your new journal out, like crack it open tomorrow, with your new pens you got in your stocking, and the highlighters you got, Here's some things that we can be resolute about. Do justice. I'll let you look up that word. Love kindness. And walk humbly with your God. We could, we could just spend, we could just rest on all those. Walking humbly with God means what? You're always more concerned about other people than you are yourself, which is totally different right there. Like, that's just one of them. Justice and love. As, as we seek justice, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. Just, just pause for a moment. How are you personally, you personally, doing on that? intentionally going out of your way to love your neighbor as much as you love and care and tend towards yourself. Secondly, as a church, we, we cannot capitulate. A, we cannot disengage, and we cannot capitulate, which means what? It can be manifested in a couple different ways. First, or if I was Pastor Aaron, I would say, firstly, which is really not a word, I don't think. But anyway, first, sitting quietly and not speaking up. We just kind of capitulate. What? Because in a sense, silence is consent. Second, it's just a, it's just a full-out endorsing of what the world says, such as this. Well, we're really not going to win the marriage debate. Look around us. We're not going to win the marriage debate in America. So as long as two men or two women really, really love each other, 
and they're really committed in a monogamous relationship to one another, then it's not really my place to, to, to say anything about that. Where, where did passivity lead Adam? Remember, the, remember, remember January, like chapter 1 of Genesis? Where, where did just kind of like sitting quietly lead him? An example of this would be the pastors in the German evangelical church. This is, at some level, these would be considered our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's hard to even imagine, established in 1933. The German evangelical church, which is actually referred to in many circles as the Reich church who actually aligned themselves with the nazi party were they really our brothers and sisters in christ probably not but they would have signed the same document that you did on your doctrinal beliefs sadly enough that on a sunday at worship it was not uncommon for the worship leader or the pastor to announce the need to play the organ louder or to sing louder to drown out the screams and the cries of Jews who were passing by on the tracks behind the church and cargo trains that were literally packed with people, souls en route to concentration camps. In gas chambers. Let's just, let's just sing louder so we don't hear what's going on behind us. No, no, we never cave to that type of horror. There are some things that we never capitulate on, and that is caring for the souls of other people. Lehman says it like this, and I quote, to those Christians who find themselves on the political left, grant no peace to the Democratic Party's position on abortion. To those on the political right, I would say make no peace with any vestiges of white supremacy in the Republican Party. At some level, we don't give in to this. That's not how the church behaves. That's not how called out ones, the bride of Christ, the royal priesthood. Thirdly, we are to never engage like the world engages. We don't engage as the world engages, which means we do not use the strategies of the world. Let me just repeat that. Because this year, doors open up, we're all walking through, and we know what's going to take place. We do not use the strategy that the world uses, even if it's the right message. Again, Lehman says this, and I quote, Too many exclamation points and all-cap sentences tell our non-Christian fellow citizens that our policy agenda is more important than the gospel itself. How wrong is that? And then he, he quotes by way of, and I quote him by way of an example where you know how somebody writes in all caps? And I, and I will do that with a word or two once in a while. You've probably received that. Lehman writes in all caps, this election is the most important thing in the world! Exclamation point, exclamation point. Let me tell you this, no it's not. No, it's not. This type of rhetoric is really communicating that God apparently is not big enough and that somehow his sovereign will is dependent upon you. What's lurking behind that? Utopia. It's literally referred to as utopianism. The belief that perfect justice is possible in this world and that we can bring heaven to earth right now. People, be assured that is dangerous, dangerous, dangerous thinking that relies upon your own strength rather than God's. For over a decade now, and I wrote the years down every Sunday prior to an election. 
the Sunday right before the Tuesday in November, I read you the same verses. And because you don't remember what I say a lot of times, I'm going to remind you again. I read it in 2012. I read it in 2016. I read it in 2020. And I'll read it again in November of 2024. Here's what the word of God says. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. Which means what? We rest in that. We move through life with a sense of assurance and resolution. Knowing that he knows. Which means that we do not know. Yes, we are blessed. And I will say this very clearly. For now. We are blessed for now with freedoms. We are blessed for now with a right to vote. And we should exercise that freedom. But be assured of this. The sovereign will of God is not dependent in any way upon whose name appears on a ballot. And you can quote me on that. Remember this. We are not culture Warriors, we are ambassadors of Christ and his kingdom. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. Put that in the top of your journal and remember what our responsibility is, yours and mine together, over these next 365 days. Okay, so that's a lot of like what we should not do. Wow, that's heavy stuff. Happy New Year. <laughs> Don't eat too much tonight. Let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me leave you with some good news, okay? Let me, let me leave you with some things that, that excite me, and hopefully you get excited as well. Let me leave you with a couple things of what we should do. Here it is. Look to Jesus. We just read about it in Hebrews chapter 12. Is that like great stuff or right? I can't, cl I can't claim it. We look to Jesus. How, how do we, okay, so I'm looking to Jesus. Like that, that's, it, it writes well. How do I look to Jesus? Like I've never really seen Jesus. I mean, the little baby in the manger, and we have like this understanding of the cross and the tomb, but we look Great question. How do we do this? A, pursue holiness, a life like Christ. Well, what does it mean to pursue holiness? Because we still have to get like rubber to the road here. Let me, let me tell you this by way of, okay, some things that keep your personal disciplines in check. Reading the word of God every single day. Husbands and wives read it together. Families gather, read it. Meditating. Read it again. I don't quite understand it. Use the highlighter that you just got in your stocking. And, and, and what? And meditate. Like we say it over. And then we like, I, excuse me, I need some help on this because I'm not fully getting this. So we study the word of God and we ask questions about the word of God. Our personal disciplines. Like you schedule your life in 15 minute, 30 minute increments throughout the course of the day, the work day, the week. And we have to write into that our personal disciplines, our prayer life. Oh, oh, for this group to be gathered together on a Wednesday night as we pray specifically for the community that we are called to be a part of. Set up your accountability and give people permission to ask you the hard questions in life. 
Men, bring other good godly men into your little circle. Women, bring other good godly women into your circles. And what? Remind one another. I'm going to hold you accountable. You've got to hold me accountable with how I do this. Because like I just set up personal disciplines. It's January 1. I'm going to read God's word. I'm going to pray together as a family. Ask me on Friday, how many times this week did you do that? And I would also say this, and I put this in by way of pursue holiness, be quick to confess your sin. Don't let it go. Don't listen to the lies of the father of lies, the evil one, the, the taunter who says, you're the only one who blew it this week. You're not the only one who blew it this week. So be quick to confess. Guess what? I failed as a father. I got frustrated and angry with my kids that I shouldn't have. Quick to confess. We live like Jesus, who didn't have sin to confess, but he lived a life that was perfectly holy so he could be an example for us. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy. And I love this one little word, in all your conduct. Not some of it. We look to Jesus, A, by pursuing holiness. Secondly, and this is where, this is where, this is where it's going to count by way of whether or not what's coming in, what you've ingested, okay, in a sense is being kind of made known or manifested to those around you. We commit, which means not just me, a couple guys around me, a couple people, which means all of us are committed to make disciples, as we live like Jesus, we have to be showing others. This is what it looks like. Dads and moms, even single moms, who have the incredible weight of responsibility. This begins in your home, and it begins with your little ones. We, we begin to make disciples in our home. Commit as well to pour into other people's lives we model christ for them paul says follow me as i follow christ speak truth in love give great care to how you present it but it has to be presented teach find a place to serve you've been given what spiritual gifts and i've preached on this on numerous occasions exercise the spiritual gift that god has given to you serve in some capacity Teach others and be quick to express gratitude. Isn't it interesting that it describes the end times in 1 Timothy and it's just like murderers and, 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 and thieves and this long list and it says those who are ungrateful. So every day we begin to express gratitude. And when someone ministers to you, express gratitude for them taking time to even think about you. Evidence, I believe, of the presence of the Holy Spirit is just an outpouring of thank you, Lord. Thank you for, for others who care. Thirdly, keep the focus on what is eternal. Keep the focus on a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Don't get drawn up into the mess that is around us. Which means what? Join a local church. I would very strongly encourage you that if you attend regularly here at Big Woods, join Big Woods. If you don't feel comfortable, then find a church that's preaching the gospel and join that church. Connect formally to the body of Christ. You just received this morning with your bulletin a whole list of people that, what, in a couple weeks, Lord willing, will formally covenant together with you that remind one another, you're not in this thing alone. Join a church. Live in a sense of reverence and fear of God. Reverential awe. I love how Scripture says, get wisdom. Well, how do you get wisdom? You read the minds of men and women who are wise before you. You spend time with wise people and you will get wisdom. You pray that God will give you clarity and discernment and wisdom. Pray for your leaders 
as inevitably pastors and elders will continue to come under attack. Churches will come under attack. Obey and honor the government's that you are commanded to be subject to, according to Romans chapter 13. And we pray for those leaders. Take the responsibility that we have right now and the freedoms to vote and what? And always, always be ready to give an answer to every man who asks you a reason for the hope that exists. Why is it that everyone is terrified and you move with a sense of grace and peace? What is that? How do I have that? Be ready to give an answer. And I will tell you this, they will ask you. I just wish we had time. If you were to continue reading this chapter in Hebrews chapter 12, you'd hear words like, consider him who endured from sin or such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus experienced far more and far worse than you or I ever could imagine. And he endured. It would continue on in verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet. We should live with a sense of excitement and exhilaration, not a sense of defeated. This is just like so horrible. No, it's not. This is an amazing opportunity for us. Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Verse 28 would say, therefore, let us be grateful. There it is again. For receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship and reverence and awe. Let me ask you this. How are, how are you doing personally in looking uh, to Jesus? Trusting in Jesus. Trusting in the word that is given to us. Trusting in the power of the gospel. The single most important purpose for our existence as a local church is surrounded around the gospel. Without the gospel, we have nothing. Without the gospel, we are nothing. The atheist will scream and claim there is no God. The agnostic will claim, well, there is a God, but we can never know him. So we live and we die, what, with a, with a meaningless life, a purposeless life, but not so with the gospel. A Buddhist, a Hinduist, a Sikhist would say, just think good things and maybe you'll make it to nirvana. The cultist or the legalist would say, do good things and maybe you got a shot if you do enough. The Jewish person or the Islam would say, just remember this, recite this, pray this, And what? Maybe you got a chance. Not so with the gospel. The gospel is what? Is it a holy, infinite, all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful God designed you, knit you together in your mother's womb, formed you, created you to be in personal relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords? And yet what? As we have learned and we will continue to learn that we chose to rebel as we do. Thus creating this what? This chasm between a holy God and the sinfulness of our own heart. And yet God still loves us. Like, like, like the child that frustrates you. But you still love him. God loves you so much that he wanted to be with you. Left the glories of heaven, and yet what? In a sense, while being totally, totally God and totally man, in a humble arrival, as we celebrated last week, God chose to be with us, to come to earth, and to suffer and to die in the place that you and I deserve to, to die. God paid the price for your sin and for my sin. Totally paid in full.
not only did he die, but gloriously, miraculously, and literally he rose again to offer you newness of life and life eternal. And God forgives us. God forgives you. Some of the pain, I think Pastor Robbie alluded to it earlier in his prayer in our call to worship. Some of the pain of assessing the past year is that we know the areas that we have failed in. And we know that we are unworthy. We're undeserving of God's grace. And it, it paralyzes us. I, I can't speak. I can't serve. I know what's in my heart. Praise God that in this moment, and I would, I would pray, rather than the waste the time of a ball that dropped, spend time together as a family or as a couple or individually confessing our sin before the Lord, thanking Him and praising Him with grateful hearts for His grace and forgiveness. Trust in the power of the gospel to transform your life so that you can tell others how they too can be transformed. Trust God, trust the word of God and understand what we hold in our laps. I love how Charles Spurgeon says, defend the Bible, I would rather defend a lion, let it go and it will defend itself. That's the word that we hold in our hands and in our hearts as we close the door to 2023 and open the door to 2024. Father, we love you and we thank you for how mighty and how glorious, how wonderful, how holy you are. Please, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And please, Lord, give us the strength that we need from your spirit to be faithful to serve you and to speak of you for your glory and not our own. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.